Welcome, everybody. Kirk Henderson with another episode of Mavs Moneyball Live. I'm coming to you from the Locker Room app. We're here on Sunday morning. I'm playing around with some scheduling because I just wanted to see how, uh, you know, different people, you know, hang out at different times at Mavs Moneyball. We have a lot of European followers, even though I know that Android kind of dominates the world market. You can only get this app on iPhone or iOS. I still wanted to... uh, take a look at, at seeing if we could get some people from different parts of the country going on. Um, so we're, we're talking here on Sunday morning, the all-star game and really like the condensed kind of all-star weekend is happening in Atlanta tonight. The Mavericks last played on Wednesday, March 3rd, where they beat Oklahoma city in probably the ugliest basketball game that I can recall in recent memory. Uh, however, they come into that streak winning essentially uh, nine of eleven, uh, and then and and just really you know bringing themselves back over five hundred. Josh and I uh, would talk in our podcasts primarily about how, uh, at least through the the later part of January, how important it would be for the Mavericks to get to five hundred by the All Star break. And it, it's pretty exciting, at least for me as a as a grump, to see them at two games over 500. Now, as you guys may know, the Mavericks somehow played the hardest schedule in the first half of the year. Now, the first, the strength of schedule is is kind of a rolling stat in that it's determined primarily by who your uh, how your opponents are playing. And at All Star break, Mavericks opponents had. Uh, something like a combined record that put them at like uh, 0.514. And then at one point it was like 0.533 in terms of winning percentage, which is just really, I mean, it's a mess. You know, the Mavericks lost two games uh, in the uh, due to the ice storm, and those were likely wins. Uh, one was against Detroit, which, you know, Detroit's a bit of, you know, they're playing better now, but they're still not very good. And I want to say the other game was against, like, Houston. I, I really can't recall. But there were games that, that the Mavericks had a good chance of winning. Of course, I say all this, that, that the second half of the year, the Mavericks should be coming out and um, potentially playing an easier schedule. And I've got the thing pulled up right here. And here is how the Mavericks uh, exit All-Star break. They play the Spurs, Thunder, Nuggets, Clippers, Clippers, Portland, Portland. <laughs> so I don't really understand how this is supposed to be easier than they, they, they play, you know, at the Wolves versus the Pacers. Then they play the, the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Then they play the, the Oklahoma City Thunder again. It's just like I'm looking at this and things don't really lighten up in any consistent way until really the last 10 games of the season when they're in when they're in uh you know kind of in the stretch run right before the playoffs where they play Washington, Sacramento, the Heat, Brooklyn, the Cavs twice, Memphis, uh the Pelicans, then uh, the Raptors and then the Timberwolves and it is pretty good. Uh that that might be kind of the make or break point in the season because when you look at the rest of the schedule um it's pretty wild to see to see what is happening in terms of just kind of the night in night out stuff. You know, the, the obviously the Western Conference is hard. Um, so Josh in the chat asks, now that the G League guys are back, what are your expectations with playing time for any of them? Do you think Green can actually carve out a steady rotation spot? This is a great question. I think 
that our expectations need to be just above the lowest they can be. Because if you go look at, at what the minutes guys have been playing are, uh, Ryan uh, on Mavs Moneyball put down a – he had a really good uh, piece that was uh, breaking down minutes um, with what was going on. And the roster has just been playing really essentially an, an eight-man rotation at most. I'm trying to find Ryan's post here on the site, but it was – it was pretty brutal because, you know, you got Luca, you got KP, you have uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, who is essentially playing the second most minutes on the team. Um, then you have Tim Hardaway, Jalen Brunson, and am I missing anybody? Um, Sarah, I, sorry, right. I wanted to do this early because, I, you know, we got these these folks in Europe and I wanted to give anybody, you know, some of our, 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 our guys overseas the opportunity to join this. But, you know, it's, it's funny how many um, how many, you know, people actually end up having um, Android instead of iOS. So when this goes to iOS, it will it will probably be it'll probably be a little easier. Um, let's see here. Where is this? I can't find Man, This is a problem. When we put up like seven articles a day on the site. I can't find the simpler things, but that's just, that's just the way things go. Good morning, Dre. What's going on? What's up? Morning guys. What's, what can I do for you today? Shit. Um, I mean, like we're talking Mavs, man. That's what we're that's talking. Right. That's right. Now, I was um, just as, as answering a question about kind of the G League guys. Do you have any thoughts on these guys coming back from uh, from coming up to the what I keep thinking of as like the men's senior team, even though that's not the right way to actually talk about how these guys are are on the roster? Um, honestly, I wouldn't know how to answer that. I really don't follow the G League players like that. I was actually going to speak on like how you were talking about like the Mavs have been playing brutal. You sure? Like, I'm not going to lie, I agree with that, especially, like, with, like, the Mavs really shouldn't be this bad of a team. They really should not be this low of a record of a team. They got one of the most generational players we've probably seen since LeBron James came out of out of 2003. That's, a, like, Luka's that good. Um, I have a problem with KP. Like, KP has taken a big step back defensively this year. I don't know what's been wrong with him. Either it's the second knee injury that he's had. Which I'm, that's my assumption of it, that like he's just playing this bad on defense because he's never been this. You know, ever since he's been with the Knicks, like he was always been one of those stretches that is like really good on both ends of the floor. And I kind of find it really surprising that you know Mark Cuban is actually like shopping Porzingis to begin with. You know, like that's just crazy to me. Also, like you traded what two first round picks for Porzingis? If I'm, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. You trade two for first round picks for Porzingis, and you're already going to the Golden State Warriors, talking about like an interest of trading him to them. Like, really? Yeah, I mean the trade stuff with KP. I I think that what I don't think they move on from him. A. Um, I I really think that that uh, what they end up doing is this this kind of becomes a long term process of really understanding that, that Luca's the center of the team and everybody else is up for discussion. Um, with KP, he really hasn't looked good. I've railed on him going on once. Um, and Dre, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mute you here, but if you want to talk again, please, uh, please request yep. the chat. All right. Sure thing. And, and so the, the KP stuff is very challenging because they cannot 
as much as like I, when I get really angry, like I want them to trade him like right now. But I also know that trading him right now would be an, an admission that it didn't work, and they'd essentially lose assets because, like you said, these first two round picks that they sent off, while not really important to the Mavericks in terms of team building for like it's not like they they draft particularly well or it would be part of their draft, but because they're out two picks, they essentially are hamstrung until one of those picks you know goes to the Knicks, likely this year. Uh, so, so it's sort of an admission of defeat if they, if they move on from KP, the defensive stuff is really maddening. And I wonder, and we've talked about this a lot the last month, how much of it has to do with him trusting his body. Um, let's see here. The, the, the guy who plays for Memphis, uh, the, the rookie or not rookie, the guy, triple J, Jaron, yeah, Jaron Jackson. So he tore his meniscus also before KP tore his and is still not back. Now, I've, I've talked to some people who have explained to me that it was a much different kind of tear. So, so it's, it's, that's largely why he's not back. But I think that, that there's, there just has to be something with his lack of trust in his body because there have been instances since he's come back where he's either gotten like really pissed off, which he's kind of an even keel guy. So him playing pissed off is noticeable. Uh, there's one technical foul I always refer to. Then for like the next eight minutes, he flew around the court kind of like a lunatic. So there has to be something with that in terms of of where he feels about his movements. He's given some quotes recently, which they make me feel better in it because there's at least an admission that things aren't right. Where when the trade rumors started coming out, he he started talking to the media more than he talked really in a while. And he talked about how he just isn't he knows what he's supposed to do but his body's not doing it and that sort of comes with repetition i believe i also think that that the mavericks defense as a whole if you think of it kind of like a puzzle the pieces aren't all fitting correctly uh i i kind of repeatedly harp on the fact that i don't understand why dorian finney smith guards the best guy um because he's just not a great man defender so that's really that's really pretty pretty maddening to me because the Dame Lillard thing is something that sticks out in my mind where Dame really gets him off his rocker with like one dribble move. Uh, and, and really the, the guy James or Dorian guards the best is, is James Harden. Who's a bigger guy, but it, it's, I would just like to see Josh Richardson on some of these more, you know, guards and wings that are able to attack off the dribble because I think he's a little better at that. And I wonder if it, I just don't really like the defensive scheme. You know, the they play this drop coverage, which forces KP. What he's supposed to do is is kind of challenge these mid range shots. And what's happened is, if he challenges a three point shot coming off a screen or challenges a mid range shot after the guy gets inside the lane a little bit, he is on his heels. He's not really moving. And then when he does challenge, he tends to try to hunt for blocks when they go around him, and he's just not moving well enough for that sort of thing. So it'll be it'll be worth seeing if if they if they do anything uh, in terms of improving. After the All Star break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, but, that's big. The the All Star break and the the rest in general is going to be worth seeing if they if they can get at least you know together for some film. I don't know how much these guys are ever going to practice. The second half of the year is going to be a mess with that. Because there's just no practice time. I have the schedule pulled up in front of me. They play in 30, I think it's 34 game. 30, I don't know. But they play 10 back-to-backs. And back-to-backs are going to be awful for the Mavericks. Because oh. they've historically been 
they've been historically pretty pretty bad about about back to backs, which is uh, at least in the Luca era. I don't know what it is. It's something about the youth of the team, I think. So so that's going to be something to keep an eye out for. I do expect KP to play through more of those. I, I'm sure if he's kind of the linchpin between what we think the Mavericks are possible with. But uh, yeah, what else you got for me, Dre? Uh, actually, that's probably all the questions. I'm I'm actually glad you covered that. Thank you for actually giving me some insight on that. Sure thing, man. Well, I try to do these once a week, so please hop back in whenever whenever you have time. Um, Appreciate it. Sure thing. So I pulled up the schedule post because I wanted to go back to to I think it was Josh's question about the rotation and the rookie guys. So if if you really kind of dig into it, they play. They play Luca Hardaway, Richardson, Porzingis, Dorian Finney-Smith, Kleba, and Brunson. Then they kind of flirt with playing uh, Willie Cauley-Stein when they need minutes, and then Powell when things are very bad, and then James Johnson when they just don't have anything else to do. So if if you could whittle in a few minutes for Green or for uh, or for either, I mean, really for for the other rookie as well, it would be. I don't think we're talking about them establishing a rotation spot. That isn't going to happen this year. We're too far gone. Rick Carlisle is too stubborn. He does not like mistakes. So when, when you pl- when you plug all those things together, it's what we're really hoping for is for Dorian Finney-Smith to not get ground into dust while he plays, you know, 35 minutes a game as a, you know, as, as a guy who you know, he's in his athletic prime, but still he's, an undrafted small forward playing in the toughest position in the league to guard guys. So, so if, if you could get green, even like five to six minutes a game, that would be really outstanding. If, if he could just make something like that work, um, that, that would be, you know, that'd be probably my, my, my biggest hope. Uh, if they do more, that'd be lovely. I would really be excited to watch Josh green play because I think he needs to have a little bit of rope to figure out what he can do at the NBA level. He has great measurables, but not great feel. And it's really frustrating that the Mavericks took a player without great feel. Bay is a little bit different. I think Bay could play right now. Maybe not a ton. I know everybody wants him to play more. You know, he's, he's looking great in the G League. But here's the thing about these G League game guys and summer league games. Don't look at numbers. Look at what is a translatable NBA level skill. Can he stay in front of his guy for more than two dribbles? Does he get shoved around while attempting to box out? You know, does he, is his shot, you know, fluid enough to, to be able to, you know, be, there's just not a lot of space in the NBA to get off shots. That's why those kind of distance from defender things are really interesting to me. Um, it's, it's going to be worth watching because Carl just doesn't let certain guys have a lot of rope. It, it, it really drives me nuts. Um, let's see here. We got a couple of other questions here. Uh, Huda asks, and I apologize if I butchered your name. Do you think the front office will ever change their ways, especially during free agency? I'm worried this will cause Luca to distrust the front office and eventually want out. You are preaching to the choir. This has been my, this has been why people think I'm an asshole. Uh, uh, You know, not to be too blunt about it, but I've been railing on this since day one well, really, since since Latin, probably the the off season in 2019, where they they if you if you roll back, they acquire Porzingis in Jan like last day of January 2019. Then they move away from Harrison Barnes, creating this massive player exception, and they get uh, they get the opportunity to go with what I I sort of consider artificial cap space bump. And what I mean by that is when you sign guys using their bird rights 
you can go over the salary cap to keep those your players. It's sort of a, a design that the NBA has has put in place to make sure that players that are you know developed by a certain team they at least have a little bit of a track to to keep them on the team. Um, they had I want to say it was Porzingis, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Maxi Kleba, and maybe one more guy who were bird rights eligible. And so what they did is they essentially had a chunk of cap space that was never going to exist again, that they should sign guys first. So like, let's just use Danny Green. If they could have made a godfather offer to Danny Green, like 17 million a year for three years, something ridiculous like that. Then they could have signed Porzingis and all those other players that I mentioned and gone over the salary cap and, and then had kind of a bigger salary moving forward. But what they did is what they always do, which is save cap space for a player who might not even be there which ended up being, which was obviously the target was Giannis, and Giannis signed his supermax. It was a gamble. I understand why the Mavericks did it, but it was stupid. They have Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is what matters. They have to start worrying about some of these things um, in terms of if you, you know, they have rights to Porzin or uh, to Luka Doncic because there's no way he's going to turn down his his rookie extension with the Rose Rule kicker is going to be in the neighborhood of like $200 million or depending on if, if the salary cap goes down, think of it this way. It goes from 25% of the cap to 30% of the cap. It's extensive. It's a lot of money. So when they get uh, Luka Doncic on that, their options, because they'll be paying him and they'll be paying Porzingis a ton of money, their options after that just go down. So I am worried about it. I do think that they'll be able to figure something out. This front office is capable of trades. What they really need to stop doing is thinking about the NBA in these binary terms where it's either, well, the, you know, this guy's going to be a maverick. And it happens every offseason where they don't even target certain guys. Um, the Bogdanovich who plays for the Jazz is one that comes to mind for me where he would have been perfect in Dallas. And Dallas wasn't even involved in the discussions, and I don't understand why. Um, I hope that that at least starts to, starts to answer the question. Um, <laughs> so to, to kind of go back to a few of the other things that I have, have at least been thinking about over the past several weeks, I'm, I'm curious if, if there's, you know, this has at least been pretty fun this year, all things considered the, the Mavericks, when you, when you consider what happened to them with COVID, they, this isn't discussed enough. The Mavericks lost more player games due to COVID-19 and the ensuing um, team-based, what do you call it? The, the protocols, sorry, lost the word there for a minute, than any other team in the league. They only had one game delayed due to COVID-19. And the rest of the league, when you look at Memphis, if you go look at what, what like just the total number of games played, Memphis has played three fewer games than the Mavericks on on paper right now. And that doesn't even consider the fact that the Mavericks also lost two games due to the crazy weather that happened in Texas. So we're really talking about like four to five games that Matt, that, that the, the Grizzlies and certain other teams who have been really heavily affected by COVID got to bump until later in the year. Of course, there's the argument that those games aren't, you know, if you have to place a bajillion games, you know, back to back to back to back, it's going to come around to bite Memphis eventually. But the Mavericks are, are I can't figure out whether they're any good or not. When, when Dre was talking earlier, he, he mentioned just how he, he feels that they're, they're playing below what they're capable of. And I think that's true largely 
I just wonder when, you know, if we think about what happened there, KP came back right after the Denver game when five guys on the Mavericks went on uh, COVID-19 kind of restrictions. And we know for a fact that three of them had it. Maxi Kleba was the hardest hit. Jalen Brunson was the only one who either didn't, either didn't have it or he never developed any uh, issues with it. And that's, just, it was, it was essentially the, the bottom eight guys in the rotation. Uh, and, and that sort of thing is going to knock a team off kilter, particularly when there's already no, no, no tra- or, uh, practice time and there's nothing um, that they can really do about it because, you know, we were watching these games and West of one do, was getting like 15 minutes a game. And Wes Wundu is a break in case of emergency, break glass in case of emergency type player. So it's it's really frustrating to to think like what the Mavericks could have been if they would have had, you know, if the snow hadn't happened or if they could have, you know, figured something out because that Denver game, it was on the road. It was the game where Willie Cauley-Stein looked like an actual NBA level starting center defender. I mean, he stonewalled and honestly fouled the crap out of uh, Jokic repeatedly, but the Mavericks won and it was awesome. So uh, it, it's, it's pretty wild to, to think about, you know, what they, what they could have, what they could have done if they didn't run into like this particular buzzsaw, because I'm, I'm looking at the schedule through here and there's that stretch in late January where they, where they lost to Houston, where Boogie just destroyed them. Uh, and then Denver, Utah, Utah, Phoenix, Phoenix, where they lost all five. <laughs> and then they finally s- started getting on track with that, with that first win, uh, uh, in Atlanta. And that was nice. Uh, so, so they've really come, I think they've come a, a long way. So it's, it's, it's been nice. Um, let's see here. Does anybody else have any other questions in the chat or would like to hop on stage here, here and talk with me? Because, you know, I can ramble by myself for, you know, hours, but I'd like to talk to one of you guys if you have anything to say. Um, let's see here. So we got the All-Star game tonight, and I personally really, you know, All-Star game for people tends to fall in one of two camps. There are people who don't watch it at all because they think it's garbage. Or for me, I've always really liked watching it because for a guy like Luca, who's just such a, you know, he's, he's a relative baby compared to to the rest of them. I like seeing how he is with the other all-stars, that sort of body language, that sort of ability to get along with the guys is so interesting to me. It's really easy to read into everything, of course, but if Luca's not, you know, a lot of the super teams of the last decade have come from the fact that these NBA players have formed relationships with one another in different and kind of unique circumstances. The U.S. men's national team, going back to AAU. You know, a lot of these relationships last decades. Luca doesn't have that. And it, it's it's pretty wild to, to, you know, Mark Cuban often talks about how Luka Doncic is a draw. And, and I agree with that for what his intent is. But I also don't, I think he's overstating to an extent what this, you know, what Luca's abilities are without sort of the relationship building it's it's very interesting to me to see what you know because i think guys sort of don't like anybody that's the new guy that comes in and and just goes nuts the way luca has the last couple of years he's gonna as many fans as he creates there's also going to be some some sort of frustration like there was 
interesting timeline on our discussion on my Twitter timeline this week about whether Lonzo Ball is having a better rookie season than uh, not Lonzo um, Lamelo Ball is having a better rookie season than Luca, and it's kind of my brain immediately went to thinking, you know, maybe maybe he is, but he's also not going to have a second year like Luca. Luca went from being a all you know a rookie to being an all first team NBA player in his second year. That just doesn't happen. It, it historically is so rare. So it, it's, it's fun for me to consider, you know, at least think too much about what it means. If you see like these guys practicing warm up shots and Luca laughing with guys, I, I like that because I, I think back to the, to the preseason. I don't know if, if you guys watched any of the preseason games, but at the start of the year, it felt like the Maverick camaraderie was just off the charts that these guys really, really liked each other. And then the, the, you know, there's everybody cheering, jumping up off the bench all the time. And I still get that feeling. Uh, it's just when the grind kind of kicks in, I, I, you just don't see some of the things as much as you would like to. Uh, CJ Grant in the chat notes that Luca might is not going to try it all in the skills challenge and still might win. That, that, I was actually thinking that uh, last night where I was looking at the, the kind of breakdown because he gets a first round buy for some reason. I think it has to do with the fact that he, it's his second all-star game and everybody else uh, that was in his side of the bracket, it was a first time all-star. So he, he already has that leg up and then he can just sort of loaf through it if he wants to. Uh, the skills challenge has always, always been weird to me. I really wish that they would, would have kept the shooting stars challenge. I, I think it's probably hard to find people for that. Cause it's a lot more like volume of guys, but the skills challenge just seems to be one of these things where the dude who tries the hardest ends up winning. Um, so we did have one more piece today that I would like to kind of kick to the chat just to, to see if anybody has thoughts on this, that we had a piece up about the five best moments in Dallas Mavericks all-star history. And I, I went ahead and the, the, the new guy for our site who wrote this, his name's Kasim. Um, he left one out and I want to see if anybody can identify it. So his top five in reverse order was he actually, he loved the Michael Finley cartwheel dunk from the 97 dunk contest. And if any of you were old enough to see that, that was not cool at the time. This was not top five. This was a mo- like, this is one of the more embarrassing moments in Mavericks history. And I love Finley. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Michael Finley. Uh, so it was pretty wild to, to see like that on here, but I, I had to include it because the cartwheel that Finley does is actually terrible. Then he misses the dunk. So it's really amazing. Uh, his, his, his number four moment was really just all of last year for Luca. He has that gif of, of Luca and Trey hugging after, after that like weird kind of shot thing where that was, that was really fun. I enjoyed that a whole lot. Um, and he includes like, like uh, Barack Obama coming up and introducing himself to Luca like he didn't know who he was. Uh, the number three one for, for Kasim was Dirk winning the three-point contest in 2006. That was a good one. Uh, I really liked that one because that's also what, like, for me and my brain, when I picture Dirk Nowitzki, I picture that horrendously shaggy haircut he had in 2006. Um, then he has Rolando Blackman's 1987 All-Star Game performance which I was three, so I don't know how he has this in there, but I really, you know, any, any time that a Maverick scores 29 points in the All-Star game, that, that's something you have to include. Um, and then his number one for him was uh, Dirk being named as a special roster addition to the 2019 All-Star game. I kind of agree with the placement, but Dirk going in that game was freaking bananas. 
Uh, as as Josh notes in the chat, he bombed those threes, which he's like he came in off the bench cold and just I mean, he nailed one and then another and the crowd was going nuts. So were the other players. That was that was actually pretty fun. But and 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 so in the chat, Rye notes the easily the the my favorite was the Dirk lob from Steph Curry for a dunk. And that that what year was that? It was absolutely incredible, and it, it, it resulted in one of my favorite photos because Clay Thompson was also in the game, where Dirk points to the sky and there's Steph and Clay running in front of him, and somebody made a meme where it says "Splash Fro- <laughs> Splash Father," <laughs> which just I don't know. I've always found that pretty funny. So yes, it was uh, 2015. Thank you, Dre and Rye. Um, I'm trying to figure if there were any other like really all-star memories that stand out for the Mavericks because Dirk's game just really wasn't all-star friendly. Uh, the one year where it was in Dallas, uh, I, I remember it was a nasty, nasty ice storm year and there wasn't anybody and they, they played at the, the football stadium and it was just, it was kind of an odd go of things. And yeah, the Usain Bolt pose, it was particularly weird when Dirk did that, but it was, uh, they tried to like force feed him the ball because it's like, Oh, it's a hometown thing. You know, they do this for Kobe. I remember in LA where it's just like, Oh, you, you know, you give the guy who's kind of hosting it for his city an opportunity to shine. And Dirk just like his game's not for that. Like he, you catching mid range shots and facing up and doing some like cool moves is really awesome in an NBA game, but in an all-star game when nobody's playing defense, it just, uh, it just looks, it looks like that. So, so, you know, Dre asks like what my favorite all-star moments are. And it, it really has to be that, that Dirk one that I mentioned a second ago, but all-star games in general, what the, this is not a favorite, but I cannot get this out of my brain. 2005, I was in college. I went to college in California. I, I wanted to watch the all-star game. So it'd be on at like five thirty or six in the in kind of the early evening. And we watched the all-star game. It's in Denver, pretty good all-star game. Uh, from what I remember, but here's what I really remember: the halftime performance, which was Leanne Rhymes and Big and Rich, and that has been burned into my soul. I cannot find it on YouTube, which makes me angry because it's such a terrible performance. Because if you remember Big and Rich, they also have this guy, uh, this this six foot five uh, black cowboy rapper named Cowboy Troy who was rapping in front of Jay-Z and Beyonce and the looks on their faces were so funny because it was just the, the worst choice for a musical performance. And they still, they still went ahead and, and did it because it's like, well, this is what's happening. It was, it's just, it's just one of those things that sticks out in my head. Um, Rye asks in the chat, can I ask a Dirk question <laughs> since he's being discussed? One, how much do you miss him? And if he was in his prime now, is he or Luca 1A in the clutch? Ooh, man. That's a, that's a fun question because prime Dirk sort of had two distinct phases. And I'm curious as to which one we're really thinking about. Um, the first phase for me were his kind of, and this isn't even really prime because it's kind of his early 20s, but 2001 Dirk to 2005 Dirk was a very different player than 2006 to 2007 Dirk, where Avery had him get down in the post, and a real post is kind of, you know, arbitrary for Dirk, but had him get, you know, play a lot more back to the basket than face up. And so 
now the answer would likely be that sort of section. Dirk in the clutch. Dirk is a historically underrated clutch player and really one of the best we've ever seen. Uh, he's probably like Dame, like him and Dame and a couple of other guys in terms of their ability to hit those shots in the final waning moments. Dirk has a lot of them on his record. Um, just a really excellent score whenever it was money time. So, so it's very tough to, to figure out. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, Jordan uh, Brodess joined the chat here and he links to an article about, uh, you know, NBA finals and the, the clutch scoring where Dirk was, was among one of the best. Um so to, to, to answer your, your question, I think it would have to be that stage Dirk because as much as Luca is good at orchestrating an offense, we've seen how the Mavericks clutch can kind of grind to a halt because his dribble moves, while special, his hesitations, his strength, it doesn't always play out um, in the way that he would like, particularly because it requires his teammates to do some more stuff off ball. You ISO Dirk at the free throw line and you spread the floor – that is a Sophie's choice for a defense. It's one of the hardest things anybody could guard. You know, Kevin, Kevin Durant is probably, you know, the, the, the player that I think of in terms of who adapted some of Dirk's moves the most. So I would just really have to go with, with Dirk in that, in that question, even though that may be heresy to people. Um, and, and I really do. I miss Dirk a lot, but I will say I, I, I'm glad he retired when he did. I really thought he could hang around for one more year, but the one of the kind of underrated aspects or under-discussed aspects of Dirk's career was how healthy he was after he got his ankle issues in his early career under wraps. He missed a healthy chunk, I want to say it was 2012-2013, with a knee surgery. And Dirk was just a guy who didn't like going under the knife. Nobody likes going under the knife, but I think a lot of these players that, you know, professional athletes they learn to deal with the rehab and things like that and so much of Dirk's game was based off of preparation and going under you know having surgery made it really difficult for him to to do you know to to really feel like himself and once we read exactly how much discomfort he was in that final season after getting the ankle surgery which was recommended to him I really wish we could get that story you know the Mavericks insisted that he have his ankle cleaned out and then he just wasn't the same which is, is very peculiar to me how that ended up happening. And so he was just so stiff, so uncomfortable. He was playing through a lot of pain. And so he just, he wasn't ever right. And he was able to turn back the, the, the tide often enough, but it was, it was a little disappointing to, um, to see that. So I know I wouldn't write, write notes in the chat that he'd like to, to have had one more playoff run for the guy. Um, so do we have any other, you know, uh, Sir Josh asks, uh, we have to talk about the trade rumors. What's your, What's your take on J.J. Reddick, Kevin Love, or Drummond, or anyone else that I'm not thinking of or missing? So I have to to, to note that I am, you know, it's funny, Josh and I have a what I consider a very good podcast, but we're really terrible about talking about some of the things that generate the most traffic, which include trades. And I'll talk about it, but I'm bad at it. So I could be very wrong, so please, you know, don't murder me for this down the line. I would say that that the three that are being thrown around right now, I'm not sure what they do for the Mavericks. JJ Redick is my age. I am old. He's 36. Uh, he's a heck of a shooter, but can you, can you realistically see the Mavericks playing him for more than 10 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game? They're already uh, terrible on the defend on, on the defensive end of the ball. And Redick actually has turned, you know, had turned himself into a pretty good defender, but he's still 36. 
I, I think they could use, you know, the, the distance and shooting, but the frustrating part, and Josh notes this repeatedly, is that they could have just signed Reddick. They could have made an offer for him, but once again, they didn't even consider him on their free agency list. You know, maybe they did, maybe discussions just, oh, he's not interested in playing there. That's probably what happened, but that's sort of, it's just the thing that frustrates me. So the Kevin Love and Drummond thing is, I just don't... <sighs> Number one, I, I Love hasn't played much this year. His health is very up in the air. Would you want to commit to, and I want to say he has at least two more years after this year on his contract, um, you can't, playing he and KP on the floor at the same time and Luka, you want to talk about a bad defense? That's a bad defense. Now, he would obviously help them figure out some of their rebounding issues because he's an outstanding rebounder. And he's, you know, he's obviously a very good shooter from distance. He's a very skilled offensive player, but his issues the last several years have been back related and back stuff just doesn't really, just doesn't really go away. I'm going to check on my dog here who is making the most peculiar noises from across the room. Um, and then the last guy is, is the guy that really gins up a certain part of Maverick social media where it's Andre Drummond, who is a young ish, uh, relatively speaking, you know, center who puts up unbelievable counting stats and is, you know, has carries with him a reputation that I don't entirely understand. Defensively, he's a good player when he wants to be. When he wants to be is really the key because he seems to be so unable to figure out what he wants to do uh, where he doesn't play hard often enough. And, and you can just see that on the floor, which is sort of why the Cavs worked himself out of the rotation uh, with, with Cleveland. And then it, it, the argument then becomes he's never played on the offensive side of the ball. He's never played with a good role man. He is tremendously bad in the restricted area. Just absolutely awful. Like one of the worst players in the last 10 years in terms of volume. He, part of why his rebounding numbers look so good is because he just can't score down there. Uh, and it's some of that has to do with the fact that the dude really likes to dribble, but the finishing is shockingly bad for somebody who's up there. Um, Logan asks, what kind of dog? Well, if you've ever seen the Huck is a, uh, is a half lab and then half kind of Staffordshire or Pitbull mix. He's, he's about a hundred pounds and he's over here snarfing on the couch. I don't know what he's doing. Um, let's see here. You know, Rye says in the chat that, that Nance is the big man. The Mavs should focus on from the Cavs. Here's the thing though. I, I agree with this because the Mavericks signed Powell to a pretty bad deal. We knew it was bad at the time because the Powell, like the Mavs ideal uh, role for, for, for Powell was what Larry Nance has become. Only Powell has, you know, hips underneath his elbow or underneath his armpits. He's a saloon door, and as hard as he tries, he's just a terrible defensive player. Nance does a lot of things the Mavericks need, but would you want to give up a first-round pick which would limit their ability in the future for a, for a year of Larry Nance? Is that something that you would actually want? I, I'd, be, I'd find myself pr- pretty frustrated if, if that was the case. Because at a certain point, we, we have to acknowledge the fact that the Mavericks are going to want to go all in in a different way with a different player down the line. And if they are already out draft picks because of you know choices that they've made for the short term, then that's going to be very, very frustrating. Um, 
<laughs> Jeremy Boyer notes in the chat, bad meaning Dwight Powell's contract. That is the understatement of the century. Yeah, I, I just – I. I never want to talk about somebody else's money because it's, you know, I would hate if somebody talked about my salary, but 12, you know, 12 million a year, which is 10 or whatever he's making right now is just probably 25% more than they needed to pay. It's, it's very, it's very, very frustrating to me. Um, so let's see here. Is there anything else before we wind up for the day? Because this is, you know, my attempt to, uh, to cater to some of our, 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 our friends across the Atlantic Ocean seems to have not paid off uh, compared to, you know, some of the messages that I was getting the other night. But that's OK. Um, what else is there at least going on in, in Mavs land? Um, you know, can't really think of much. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens because, you know, they start this uh, they start this the second half of the season on Wednesday night and they go immediately with a with a back to back. And then, you know, it's, it's just kind of right at the grind. It's, it's going to be worth paying attention to. Um, so Josh notes in the chat, part of me wants the Mavs to just eat their vegetables and focus on acquiring talent through free agency. In three years, Luka will be 25, and the Mavs will have their full war chest of picks back. I'm just afraid that they'll compound the KP mistake with a worse one and end up like New Orleans. I agree. It, it, that's, that's one of my fears, where if you rush things – then you end up with nothing and you end up with a frustrated superstar. The, the, you know, I I've gotten kind of yelled at about this when I bring it up, but the Mavericks are in the middle of year three. And if you assume they get Luca for a full eight years after his draft pick, I really think it's more like six and a half before he starts potentially making noise. Now, all of our Slovenian followers have made a point to me that Luca is an extremely loyal guy. Um, that loyalty is not something that the Mavericks can afford to bank on though. And they did this with Dirk and they got lucky where they banked on, on Dirk being happy and, and the post 2011, you know, they did a lot in the two thousands where they moved pieces around. And then after 2011, as we've even seen this week with the, you know, Darren Williams bringing up old wounds about why he didn't sign in Dallas in 2012, the Mavericks just made a lot of mistakes and you only get a certain number of bites at the apple with either free agency or draft or the other, you know, this, that, and the other. When you have a generational player, you just have to do right, and you have to make the correct choices. Your margin for error is thin. And, and going to get Chris Stapp's Porzingis like they did, both fast-forwarded their timetable while narrowing their margin for error. It's, it's, it's very frustrating for me. Uh, Logan in the chat asks, Speaking of free agency, would you offer Collins the max this offseason? I don't love the idea of paying two front court guys max money, not in the current iteration of the NBA that we have. That said, Collins is extremely skilled and has shown improvement in all the ways that you could really hope for for a guy of his size. His offensive game would mesh perfectly. The defensive side of things is where I have some questions, but he's even shown some improvement there. Uh, a lot of that stuff is is team scheme, uh, and and he really he wants his money, so he's gonna have to, he's gonna have to to figure out how to earn it. I don't know if the Mavericks would actually offer him one, but considering that they have just a huge chunk of money, they're gonna have to spend it somewhere. So so that's very that's that's it's probably in their in their you know wheelhouse of discussion of what they're trying to figure out but because he's a re- I think he's restricted 
it would have to be quite the offer. And Atlanta already is in no is probably in no mood to do any deals with Dallas ever again uh, after the Luka Doncic trade. Um, uh, so, so in the chat, who asked? I know this take gives off major, major conspiracy vibes, but what if at these All Star Weekend events, some of the league's major stars convince Luka to leave earlier than everyone thinks? So this is kind of what I was getting at in the sense of where you don't have a full eight years with the guys. You really have six to six and a half before they start making some noise about wanting something differently. You can go back and look at all of the big free agents who have ended up moving, and you can see it there. Anthony Davis did it a full year in advance, and he didn't really make a lot of noise with it, and then he finally got moved you know, uh, um, before last season. Or, and, and so it's, it's very tricky. I will say that pride probably plays a much bigger part in this than we think about. These guys are the best basketball players on earth. And there's not a single one of them who's at All-Star Weekend right now that doesn't think they're the best player in the league. I, I can, that's just the way these guys, I mean, maybe Jokic, who's just so like snappy casual with how he approaches uh, certain aspects of the game. But it's, it's, there's a lot of pride involved. And going to someone else's team really takes sort of a special set of circumstances. A, a lot of times we've seen it's been previously established relationships. Or in the case of somebody like Paul George, like literally being asked, hey, I want to play with you. And I think for some of these guys, asking for that amount of help is not in there. It, it doesn't come easily to them. Um, it's 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 one of these things that that is often overlooked when talking about building super teams. But the the circumstances have to be just right. Um, well, that seems to be about you know kind of the max of things. It's a little. You know, the Mavericks are eighteen and sixteen, which we should be happy about. It's it's a little. Uh, it's easy to find kind of holes to poke with the team, but at the same time, I feel like they're in a place to where they could do more to where they, if, if, you know, if they can make it out of these first five to eight games and, you know, even just play 500 basketball, if they could split both the Clippers and the Portland series, I I feel like they could make headway, you know, just playing a little North to 500 basketball is, is what we could hope for as a team and then hope to be out of that uh, play in tournament. That's that should be kind of the goal for the team is to be out of the play in tournament range. And I, I really think that's possible because some of the other teams are going to eventually take a dip there. You know, the, the challenge with the play in uh, tournament results in the fact that instead of there being 16 teams making the playoffs, you have essentially 20. And with that, you have more buyers on the market than sellers. So it's going to take a little while longer for certain teams to figure out that they need to pack it in. Memphis, uh, in my opinion, is already sort of stealth tanking. So it's going to be watching what some of the other teams do is going to be very, uh, at least interesting because the Maverick could be kind of market beneficiaries because they have no interest in, in tanking. There's a lot of ways they could, they could go and, and hopefully just, you know, improve around the margins enough and, and kind of, co- you know, come together as a team in, in a way that we had wanted earlier, uh, but, you know, didn't get an opportunity to see. It's important to know, and anybody that was around for the 2006-2007 season will know that it's a heck of a lot more important to be good late than it is to be good early. The Mavericks that year lost their first four games and then went on a 52-4 and run. I mean, they destroyed teams. And then they got something just kind of came unhinged towards the last part of that year. And they walked into the playoffs looking to... Uh, uh, they, they sort of chose their opponent in the Warriors in that they lost the last game of the season on purpose and, and they 
it was just kind of an ugly deal and they weren't ready for the Warriors and the Warriors knocked them out. And, and that, that sort of thing can, can happen. It's very good. I would much rather see the Mavericks figure this out and come in on a streak than I would, you know, see them play well early in the year, like they did last year. And then they were never able to find it again. So, all right, guys, this has been Kirk Henderson. I'm here with uh, Mavs Moneyball live. You should check out our website. We have a lot of good stuff uh, up. We we're posting new articles, you know, every day, try to do two to three posts a day. Uh, you should subscribe to Mavs Moneyball uh, podcast on anywhere you get your podcast. Josh and I do some good stuff there. I try to have the occasional one-off guests, but it's really hard with the grind of this season. Uh, we'll see what we can do. I appreciate the, you guys joining me, and uh, I look forward to doing this probably at some point next week. Everybody have a good rest of your weekend.